Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the hallowed halls of Epic Financial Strategies here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X coming to you live from the Epic Production Studios, and we are thrilled to have John Sarasani on with us this evening. John, how are you tonight? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing wonderful, folks. We are Infinity X giving a stage and microphone to human excellence. Um, if you have a question for John, you're able to put it into the chat and we will get to those questions live during the session. You can find John on Twitter and Instagram <coughs> at John Sarasani. John is an accomplished venture capitalist, author, um, former uh, football player uh, at the highest level at Northwestern University. And I believe the Fighting Irish, too. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, John. You are correct, sir. My God. I and. <coughs> Folks, you're about to get an education this evening in Entrepreneurship 101 with an unbelievably diverse background. Um, I know spent a lot of time in employee benefits, which I'm really excited to play in that space. Um, has really done unbelievable things in the area of venture capital, uh, partnerships with people like Aaron Rodgers. Folks, if you want to get an education on how to build entrepreneurship to, you know, uh, the best, the, the book is called Paid Training, right? It's on Amazon. You can get it for, I believe, $15. Yeah. Um, but folks, tonight we are going to walk through the journey of John Sarasani, and he's going to walk us through how he became the megapreneur that he is. So John, again, welcome to the Infinity X stage. Brother. So happy to have you here tonight. Appreciate being here, David. This is great. Absolutely, brother. And so where did it all start for you? Where are you from? I'm from Schaumburg, Illinois. It's a suburb of uh, Chicago. And uh, from there, you had already mentioned, I was fortunate enough to be good at football, which got me into some, uh, some schools that, uh, you know, I don't know if I would have got into them without football and they're great schools, uh, <laughs> uh, Notre Dame and Northwestern. Um, and after Northwestern, I uh, graduated and got into the insurance world, which you alluded to in the employee benefits arena. Yep. Yep. And you know, John, talk a little bit about the discipline that it took growing up to, um, you know, to make it to that stage. I mean, you know, yeah. they don't, you know, they don't hand out division ones and you were, you would have been a mid round pick from what I, you know, that's what you were trending towards. Right. I mean, that yeah. throw on trees, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for uh, pointing that out. Yeah. I played tight end and, you know, when you play at schools that are that size, especially Notre Dame and played at that level, you really, um, you know, you either got to be fast enough or big enough or in most cases, both, you know what I mean? And um, I was, I was blessed to be a large, very large, large person. <laughs> I'm uh, about six foot five, 270, yeah. maybe, close, maybe at the moment, a little closer to 280, but uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that was, uh, that was Lou Holtz era, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I played for, uh, I don't, I don't know the average age of your audience members, but, um, I'm, I'm 45 years old. So when I was going to Notre Dame it was in the middle of the nineties, the Lou Holtz era, uh, this was before all the recruiting websites and all that stuff was all over the internet. You'd find out who the all Americans were by going to Seven Eleven and buying the recruiting magazines and oh, yeah, my, my pictures in it. I guess, I guess I made it, you know what I mean? Um, and literally that's how it was. Yep. So if you could go to Notre Dame back then, um, you know, you could have went really any, anywhere. And that's, that's how it was for me. So. 
They could absolutely. And so, mm. you know, John, let, you know, as you were in school, I mean, obviously a major portion of what you were concentra- concentrating on was athletics um, and the world of, uh, you know, the world, the, the world of the NCAA today, mm. I think is a little bit different than what it was um, back when, you know, back when you were actively playing mm. um, what, you know, as you were focused, were, were you only 100% focused on your craft or was were you thinking about doing things post graduation in the entrepreneurial area? Tell me, tell me what you know your mindset was back then. You know, it's funny, man. Even while I was playing football, I started a business in college. We really weren't supposed to be doing any businesses in college back. Yeah. Now the kid, now the kids could make money, and you see them on billboards and stuff. Sure. Back when I was playing, we weren't allowed to do that. Yep. Um, but there's, <laughs> I did, I guess, and <laughs> I think I, I think I, I passed the uh, statute of limitations on uh, on that. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, this is the first time I ever said that out loud. So uh, anyway, um, but uh, anyway, I, the only reason I point that out is is just because I already had, I always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I, I was planning an events in downtown Chicago with all the college kids from Northwestern, DePaul, Loyola, University of Chicago, and I'd kind of bring everyone together. <clears throat> and I mean, nowadays you'd probably call it like a nightclub promoter. Back then, there wasn't any social media. You actually had to have talent for this job. Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'd have concerts and um, you know just live events that that uh, that got me pretty popular. But that has no, actually, I should point out that that business actually ended up going somewhere, and it got me in uh, Cranes Chicago as a as a popular business magazine in the Midwest. And um, it put me on their 40 under 40 list a few years ago. I was say, I saw 40 under 40 posted yeah. on, uh, on your social too. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, here's what's so funny. So at the same time, I had gotten into employee benefits after college. I got into employee benefits, but I still had this job because it was literally a cash cow printing money and people really enjoyed the events too. So it was filling that space. But um, when uh, I had a regular job in corporate America at that point with a, with an insurance giant, Arthur J. Gallagher, and um I hear I got cranes interviewing me. I'm 26 years old, 27 years old, trying to like, you know, pump up my insurance career here. And then the article comes out and it's talking about my damn college nightclub business. So my, uh, my bosses at Gallagher weren't too thrilled about that. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, if, if you were accelerating, then what are they going to say? Right? Well, yeah, no, I mean, listen, man, I had a, I had a producer job. I was, like I said, I was in my mid twenties. Everybody else wasn't, was 50. Um, you know, I, I, like all the guys in the office, like, like to high five me with stories like that. So it was definitely, it was definitely welcomed. What, what moved you into employee benefits? So once you, you had pointed out that, that I thought up until my last game of my senior year, I was going to be playing in the NFL. I had, um, um, I, I, I got invited to the blue gray game, which was an yeah. all-star game. And, my physical uh, came back with something that was kind of bothering me. And anyway, long story short, there's a contusion to my spinal cord. Oh. You're fine, but really probably shouldn't play football because that's weakening. And that means one big hit's not going to break your shoulder. It's going to paralyze you. So, um, and at that point, the, the rule was there was no HIPAA back then either, by the way. So old I am. I guess HIPAA was kind of out at the point, but but um, the 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 college trainer would have had to tell the NFL teams they have to disclose all this, um, and it makes sense, right? So at that way, I was you know I just kind of said, okay, no one's going to take me anyway, and I wasn't going to be paid in Manning. I wasn't going to like make millions. I was going to be probably you know at best a fourth or fifth round draft pick, and hopefully play around in the league for for a few years. But you know 
well, Tom Brady, who I played against, is uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I would have got drafted before him that year, and he's still playing. Yeah, so right. maybe and, maybe got this way, wrong. and he was quoted. He was quoted as saying, "Like I was thinking, I might just have to go out and do insurance sales." Right? No. Yeah, hey, Tom. Here I am, and yeah, you know, you're, okay. you're married to Giselle, and I'm on David's uh, interview. <laughs> Listen, it's debatable on which is more important of a platform, my friend. Oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But but I'm going to tell you what, though, David. In all honesty. Um, a lot of my friends uh, went on to, to, to play in the NFL and it's a rough business, man. It's not like the NBA. It's, it's not like major league baseball. Um, those contracts, man, you, you know, you could get caught at any given point. You don't get paid for the games you don't play. So for guys, you know, back when I was playing, it was 220 grand uh, minimum salary, 16 games, every game, one sixteenth of that, you get paid, you get caught after game five or you get hurt. Yeah. You got five sixteenths of that of that minimum salary. And a lot of people don't really realize that about the NFL. So so I really think me getting into insurance, my parents always used to tell me this too, but both of them are passed away now. But they uh they always used to say not not playing in the NFL is probably the best thing that ever happened to you because I would have bounced around for a couple of years. And you know, here's the other thing, David. NFL players that play for a few years and then go into the work world. Yeah. We're we're conditioned to think our crap don't stink. We 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 think like Oh, of course. Yeah, I'll come work for you. It's a favor to you for me to work here. And by by missing that, I, I never had that mindset, which I think helped me in the long run. It's unbelievable that you say that. So about two months ago, I had, uh, and I know you were on the Lev and Marcus podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, had, I, I had Marcus on uh, on our show a couple of months back and he was saying right. the exact same thing. He was talking about how, you know, a post, post-playing career mm. that, you know, he got his first public speaking engagement. He's like, I was thinking who I was. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I felt like I commanded such a large stage and it was like, a hundred people or something like that. And I think he got paid like $1,700. And he, he said that was the aha moment for himself where he yep. was, look, either I look at this and I say, this is way below what I command. And like, don't you know who I am and who my brother is? Or I could look at that and say, somebody actually paid to want to hear my message and oh. I should embrace this and I should move forward. I thought that was really powerful. That is. I totally is. identify with that. Well, and Marcus is a little bit older too. So he, he, he could wrap his head around it. Now, now go ask some 26 year old to figure that out. You know what oh, I mean? It's, it's hard. Yeah. 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 And so, and, and so um, you moved and it, and you moved into employee benefits and employee benefits is broad, right? Um, was, was the focal point on health insurance or was it disability or was it? Yeah. So, so to answer, I, I never really answered your actual question was how did I get into insurance into benefits in the first place? What happened for me was after I found out I wasn't playing in the NFL, I was blessed to go to Northwestern university. And I think I, most universities have this utilize that career services center at, at your college campus. If any younger people are listening, I mean, gosh, I just went in there. I went from thinking I'm playing in the NFL to needing a damn job in two months. So right. I, I just interviewed with everyone who walked in that door and uh great West healthcare. Uh, yeah. Was called, yeah. 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 <laughs> they, they were later purchased by Cigna, but uh gosh, I, I'll tell you what, man, best first job I ever had. We we're selling wholesale insurance. Quite honestly, we kind of had an inferior product. that was very difficult to sell. We're dealing against blue crosses of the world. And, and you know, then Signal was a competitor at the time, United Healthcare, who's great West Healthcare. Right. It, it taught me how to sell though. And it was a true sales environment for that B2B world, which, which I loved. Um, so I always grew up in that space and, and I was blessed to be in that space because it kept me in that middle market, that 100 to a couple thousand employee range. And that's, that's the business I learned. Um, 
Whereas I know that people are making a killing doing individual policies and things of that nature. I was on the totally other side of that life and health license. You no, know, that's an interesting, um, I love what you just shared on that. And thank yeah. you for that because you know, when you're selling, when, when you're positioning a product that, you know, might, um, you know, be looked upon as either, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it suboptimal because I think any type of insurance is typically speaking pretty good insurance, you know, but when you're battling the Cygnus and the, in the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world and, you know, the Aetna's, uh, that's an uphill battle because they're behemoths and you're, you know, you might not have necessarily the internal support structure. And so what were some things that you, um, that you found really harnessed your sales skills when a employer, a municipality, whoever it was would say, you know, listen, you know, John, we appreciate you, but um, you know, we think that your, your product might be inferior. Yeah. So, so when I was at Great West, we were selling through, through brokers. So I had to convince the brokers even to show us to their client. Got it. And yeah. And it was such a unique value proposition that most of these, most of these employers weren't ready for it. So these brokers would be out there not wanting to even show it because they didn't really completely understand what we were doing. It was a partial hybrid self-funded arrangement that not everyone really could wrap their head around. And, um, and uh, so what I learned to do was just get the meeting. Just get the meeting somehow, get the meeting first with the broker, show him something, show well, and then get him to put you in front of that and, and put you in front of that client. Certainly we're, we're winning all of them. I mean, most of your audience probably never heard of Great West and Signal, <laughs> Signal probably bought them for pennies on the dollar. But, it, but as far as the experience it gave me, we had to compete in that environment, you know? So, so when I was at Notre Dame, I was the Blue Cross. Yeah, hey, sure. I'm going to Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Not now here I'm at Great West and we're, you know, UAB or, you know, whatever, name it, that's going against Alabama, right? Right, right. Mm. And and so and so you, you but you accelerated obviously dramatically in that space. And and as you continue to build that and kind of build your base, because once you have a stable of you know, guys like me, right? Advisors yeah. who right. might have the business to business relationships and are showing what you, mm. you know, showing your solution to their clients. Right. You show them well, and they're going to be repeat offenders, right? And they're going to be very loyal to you. How did, you know, what happened next after you started to scale out your business? Yeah. So we would call it training our brokers. So you, you, you get four or five, six guys that actually give a crap about what you're saying, get them on board with this product and then get them to start presenting you on a regular basis. And, uh, and that, that's exactly what we did now. Now here's the thing though. I was pretty young when I started to realize, well, wait a minute, uh, we're just this wholesale guy over here selling one product. And I'm trying to convince this broker over here that has these eight and I could see his commission versus our commission. And yeah, I want, I want that job, man. I want that job. But, but, you know, as a 24 year old, you're, you're trained in your head to be like, Oh gosh, I, 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 I could I do that? I mean, that's a tough job. I mean, I, I don't know. If it, so I ended up moving over to Arthur J Gallagher, getting a job there as a younger broker moved up the ladder there in a few years. And then um, once I was at Gallagher and I saw, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, right? You 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 pull, you pull back the the curtain, and it's like, okay, uh, it's just people here. There's no magic formula happening here, and uh, I think I'm getting these clients because of me, and not because of the name on my business card. And hey, you know what, man? Let's go figure it out if this is the case. So I, I quit my job on good terms and uh, started uh, doing the exact same thing I was doing at Gallagher out of my kitchen. Um, the company blew up. I, I developed a niche working with small private colleges and universities, which allowed me to compete against people like my former employer. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I built it and then a, a private equity backed competitor came in and 
bought us and uh you know now i'm getting interviews like this so it's cool unbelievable folks we are infinity x stage and microphone with john sarasani who's sharing an unbelievable journey about navigating through the employee benefit world folks he founded a company which was purchased by private equity right selling to colleges and universities niche marketing folks he found a niche market which i want to build a little bit on here in a second And, and i think I think for all you all you folks out there who are, are are looking to create a vertical for your business, you have to identify a scalable and repeatable niche, right? A market that you can dominate, right? A market that you know your value proposition to that market is one that is unique of unique to anybody else, and that doesn't grow on trees. You have to do your research. You have to you know you have to identify. So why were why were the colleges and universities so, so much of a, like an ideal avatar? for you, John. So I learned that space. So Gallagher, Gallagher would kind of focus on nonprofit or public entity types on, on one team and the regular private sector employers on another team. And I was on the, the, the public nonprofit side. And then within that, there was a few people that focused on just colleges and universities, but they were going after the big dogs. They were going after University of Illinois, the bigger state universities. Okay. Um, once you went downstream a little bit, all of a sudden, Elmhurst College that most of your audience probably never heard of with 400 employees. Okay, well, that's not on the radar screen of us big nonprofit public guys because they're only 400 employees. But look over here on that private sector. Yep. They would love to write a car dealership or a factory with 400 employees. Okay. So that guy comes over here to Elmhurst College. He doesn't have the same expertise in higher education that was learned over here. So I'm looking at this thing. I see that it's wrong. Everyone's twice my age. And good people, by the way, too. Don't, so don't, don't misread what I'm saying there. But I just looked at it like, okay, I see the trajectory of my career here. I see this idea and can't believe this is being overlooked. You know what? I, I just decided to pull the trigger and, and, and do it on my own. And it allowed me to compete again against Gallagher, but I didn't want in that space. I, I go against Aeon. I go against Marsh. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, some of these guys, you know, some of the 400 employee colleges will think they're Harvard. And they're going to have to be with Aon or Willis or somebody like that because, you know, the person that's the decision maker doesn't want to get fired if, if I screw up. But you know what? When you're on your own, you don't got to you don't got to win every time. You know what I mean? You got to win, you know, to, to, to replace that income. I got to win about one tenth of the times I would have won over there. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Incredible. And folks, by the way, replay available on WeAreInfinityX.com, WeAreInfinityX YouTube, Spotify and Apple iTunes. Uh, Jade, I'm going to get to your question in just a second. But um, John. What was it like when a private equity firm mm-hmm. gave you the call and said, we love what you're doing and we want to, now was it, was it a leverage buyout or what, yeah. exa- what, what exactly took place? So these private equity firms started coming in and buying uh, companies from multiples of EBITDA, yep. which is net profit or however you want to put it. Um, I thought they were mistaking when they told me the multiple that they were willing to talk to us about. And it just didn't make any sense. And I, and I, I, I thought, okay, cause my book of business or our company is probably about, I don't know, I don't want to be too specific because I have non-disclosure, but so, say somewhere between three and 5 million was, was our total revenue. Okay. <laughs> Not a premium, the total revenue. Revenue. Okay? Right. Not, yeah. yeah. Now the, the, the issue was, Industry standard for employee benefit firms like that are like what 20% profit margin or 20% of that's EBITDA, maybe 25% aggressively. Mm-hmm. Because I had this niche focus with private higher education, 
I didn't have to hire salespeople. I didn't have to hire marketing people. They were coming to me. We had over a hundred colleges at the end. Yep. So my EBITDA was like 80% of that gross number. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so listen, they, they're calling me to try to tell me about this deal that they want to do. And I'm like, all right, they probably look through Judy Diamond or one of these services to figure out uh, my revenue. And they think, they think they're going to buy us for, you know, let's say seven to 10 times what they think my EBITDA is. Yep. Hey, we kept going down the path, kept going down the path and they didn't care. They didn't care. And I, and I, I learned a lot about private equity at that point because they kept that same multiple buying it for a higher amount yep. because they were not doing anything to take it over. They were just rolling us up into a bunch of other place, other firms that they're buying and then packaging us to sell to somebody else. So, so I did have some requirements where I had to maintain that EBITDA for a few years. After that point of sale, I had to work there for a few years to maintain it. But uh, gosh, man, what, what, so, so to answer your question, when, I, when they first called me, I was like uh, very skeptical. I go, there's no way they're going to buy it for this much. And then as it went, I learned more about it. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And that, a good friend of mine was my lawyer um, at the time. And he's at a pretty, pretty big firm. And he was kind of doing me a favor to even represent a case my size. <laughs> and me and him are like laughing while we're on the phone with the CFO and the private equity firm. Like, dude, just don't. He's like arguing legal points. I go, they're overpaying me. Don't mess this up. Say a word, don't right? Mess this up. Just say yes. They go, John, they don't, they don't have this long and I'm competing. Just accept everything. Do it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Folks, we are Infinity X Stage of Microphone with John Sarasani. You can find him on Instagram and on Twitter at John Sarasani. So, so John, so you sell out right now. You, yep. you, you, fulfilled your, you fulfilled your obligations with them. Mm -hmm. right? You worked for a few different years. I would assume on a, on a consulting role, right? Mm -hmm. Just as much as, you know, as a, not, not so much on a full-time basis. Yeah, no, they, they would structure it a little differently. They said we had, it was a five-year employment contract, which is crazy, right? Not employed at will, five-year contract. My employees that came over were employed at will. So they were their employees at that point, but I still had to show up to work and everything else. So there's, there was like, they couldn't just get rid of me if they wanted to. There was very specific things that had to, had to take place for me to quit or, or for them to, to get rid of me. Um, but uh, they, they left me skin in the game too, right? So, so they gave me like half of my deal. Let's just say roughly, I don't want to be too specific, but ha roughly half of my deal up front here yep. at mm -hmm. point of sale and then kickers over the next three years to get the, the rest of the percentage. Yep. And then they took a big chunk of the percentage and, and made me take um, stock in the company that bought mine. Now, that's where my story gets really interesting, though, David, if you want me to tell that part real quick. Dying to hear it, brother. Okay. So that was supposed to be my, a minority share of the deal. Let's say 35% of the deal was supposed to be in stock, let's say. Okay. Private equity firms sell each other, sell to other private equity firms like every five to seven years. Okay. Well, when I came in, the stock was worth, you know, let's say a dollar. Mm -hmm. All right. Two months later, they had the capitalization where another private equity firm bought them out. So that 35% of my total deal that was worth a dollar in stock gets sold to another private equity firm. And that dollar turns into about $3, oh, okay? okay? So, so my 35% just tripled. It was more than the rest of the whole damn deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody else at the organization at this time is cashing out because they had been there for seven years. This is a liquidity event for them. Well, I couldn't cash out, David, because for me, I would have had to pay, because it just happened, I would have had to pay short-term short capital gains tax on that money. 
Yep. Yep. Um, I wasn't expecting that money anyway. You know what? Let's just let it all roll. I don't want to pay the taxes on it. I wasn't expecting anyway. Okay. Mm -hmm. So guess what happens next in that five-year period? It recapitalizes again before I leave. So they're going to buy me out on my fifth year when I actually quit, when I actually resign. It sells to another private equity firm and triples again. So, <laughs> so I get this stock that tripled twice. And I'm going to tell you right now, if there was ever a case study about how private, about a private equity firm buying you, everyone talks about how the private equity firm could buy you and dilute you and screw you over. This is like a case study on the opposite side oh, on how to work out. Unbelievable. It's awesome. It's awesome. So it's, it's really been, uh, you know, I'm very, very blessed and uh, timing's everything there. Inc congratulations Thank on you. that, John. That's incredible. And then, um, so, and you end up having this very, very large liquidity event, mm -hmm. right? right? What did you do next? What happened next? So I tried to kind of hang out and, uh, you know, I, I, I raised my son. I have a 13 year old son that I raised by myself, but I had a little fun there, you know, little Bahamas, little, little Vegas, uh, but yeah. I yeah. You know, did some things, but, um, yep. you know, after a couple of months, I'm like, man, this cannot be the case. I gotta, I gotta do something here. So I started Glencrest global, which is, uh, my, my family office. And, uh, I have the big dogs like, you know, UBS and Merrill Lynch involved with maybe the more, the more, um, you know, heftier th uh, par parts of the, uh, the wealth management. But I, I, I personally run a team that looks at early stage venture capital Ooh. as well as uh, real estate. And um, it's taken me all over the country and it's a lot, a lot of fun evaluating those deals. That's incredible. How did now, was it, was it because of your own personal experience that you started looking at venture capital or did you have an appetite for it before that? You know, I always kind of just messed around. I've always had that entrepreneur mindset, but I was so laser focused on my insurance company building and building and building. I couldn't even like really ever pay attention. So I've always owned like rental properties around the city and the suburbs, but like, uh, you know, um, I, a couple of friends were opening bars or restaurants and I'd throw in 50 grand here, 25 grand here, that kind of, that kind of thing, but it never really anything that I could actually help with because all of that, I had a cash cow over here. I couldn't have my focus off, off of that. So it was always passive for me. Um, what I think I could do now though, is in the, in this venture capital world is bring my expertise, bring, bring my experience, um, of building and selling a company, but also, just the fact that I learned that private equity component too. Gosh, if I, if I, I would have loved to talk to me, what I know now, yeah. you know, six years ago, I yeah. mean, like, like to even understand why instead of me just sitting there, yeah, I'll sign anything. Cause I think these guys are overpaying to now understanding that world and how it works. Hey, listen, they're glad I'm making a ton of money. Cause they're making a ton of money too. You know what I mean? Sure, of course. So, you know, I, I really had no idea and I didn't, I didn't understand it. So, so I, I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm 45 years old. I got a lot of years ahead of me still, um, I've decided, even though my non-competes up, I've decided I'm going to stay away from insurance. Um, and, and primarily it's just because you got one life to live, man. I, insurance has done very well for me. I'm very happy with it. It might not always be the most exciting dinner conversations though. So, um, you know, let's do something maybe a little bit more, um, you know, on the, on the exciting side or, or just for this next, next volume of my life, at least. I love that. I'm going to, I want to build on that for a moment. Mm, before. Sure. What's uh, you know what what you just heard John share is 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 exciting beyond belief to me because you know people um people don't wake up and want to have a conversation with you about insurance <laughs> you know it just doesn't it doesn't work that way so John so just a little brief pivot for a moment we were talking oh. about this on the phone a little bit earlier but mm -hmm. you know um 
we at our company, Epic, um, you know, we're, we're essentially a one-stop shop, you know, Epic mm-hmm. Insurance Services, Epic Wealth Management, our fiduciary division, but to, similar to the, to the experience that you had in identifying the niche market, right, with the mm-hmm. colleges and the universities, right. um, we, we identified a very specific vertical where we could make a big impact, and that was in the real estate investment market. And, you know, through proximity to individuals, we were blessed to get an introduction to a, a, another influencer who um, has built a, a, a massive real estate um, presence and a massive social media presence by leveraging strategies that we specifically were able to customize and create for him that he then began to and commenced with sharing to his marketplace, right? Awesome. And as a result of that, we have the unbelievable privileged window of having, you know, conditioned conversations with people that actually want to speak with us about the living benefits of insurance relative yep. to the death component of insurance. Because who the hell yep. wants to talk about insurance, right? Yep. Because people don't necessarily really understand what insurance can do. And then we overlay that with the, uh, with the planning, but in a time, especially during COVID when people in my business, right. were you know, my, in my business who, traditionally are doing either now, I don't want to say door to door, but in home conversations and meetings and in-person meetings um, were struggling mightily. And we saw a, a, a massive, massive uptick in our business and our flow as a result of creating strategic partnerships, right? And as a result of creating, um, you know, a vertical based upon leveraging people's influence and ultimately our influence as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I share that um, because number one, I want to talk to you more about insurance because yeah. I love your background. I love it. I, I'm like yeah. dying to talk to you a little bit more about that. But in you know, in the last three years, right, unprecedented times like you and I have never seen. We're the same age, mm-hmm. right? We've mm-hmm. now you and I. We saw dot com, right? We saw the bubble burst. We saw nine yeah. eleven. We saw 08. But right. you know, the, you know, COVID followed by this level of inflation and this the, the insanity of what's happening in policy make decision making out there what's happening on capitol hill in my opinion is just you know beyond but we're in unprecedented times from a financial perspective as a venture capitalist right mm-hmm. has your approach towards looking at deals changed based upon today's economic environment does it change with economic environments or do the fundamentals remain the same and why is that yeah, that's a good question, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what though. I, I in the early stage stuff that I do, I, I hand off the later stage pieces where you need to look, do a little bit heavier diligence on the numbers and and just the the climate in general. Um, I hand that off to people that have been doing this a lot longer than I have. On the early stage, you know, what I mean? but on the early stage stuff though, I will look at all of that. You know, so for instance, right now, what's hot in the early stage market is um for te- from a technology standpoint at least one of them is sports gambling okay and sports gambling websites for sports gambling technology apps whatever and all of them are banking on it going federally legal one day right now it's state by state by state by state okay yep. Yep. so so the big players like caesars or you know harrah's or mgm or who, you know whoever, whoever the big sports gambling players are okay once it goes federal they're all going to be competing with each other to buy these little guys up. You follow me? I do. Um, so, so, so something specific like that, 
obviously I'm paying attention on Capitol Hill. Okay. Yep. Cause I'm involved in a couple of different businesses like that. And we're all banking on Caesars buying us one day. And if it doesn't go federal, they ain't going to buy us. So you know what I mean? So <laughs> I know I'm answering your question a little bit differently than, um, than, what, than what you were looking for, but that, that's my best way. And another big thing right now is marijuana. Yep. Um, and it's, it's just gambling and marijuana. It's it doesn't get any better than this. Folks. <laughs> exactly. Sports gambling and weed. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the damn same thing, right, man. So like we're all, everybody's jockeying for, for, to be in a position to be bought out once it goes federal. And it, even if, if it ever does go federal, but you know, everybody, you know, every entrepreneur that's pitching me feels like it is or else they wouldn't be pitching me. You know what I mean? Um, so those are two things that I, that I definitely specifically keep an eye on just the market trends and all that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I, I could tell you this, it, it matters to me as a venture capitalist, knowing that um, it gives me some markets, like some wealth management, I guess you could say certainty, mm-hmm. knowing that, hey, okay, I got this tranche of money and let's say I put it in you know, equities or whatever, and let's just say something similar to the S&P 500 index, but they pick their own stocks, okay? Yep. Okay, well, what if it crashes? Well, that's okay because I got X amount of dollars over here in private equity and venture capital that that shouldn't impact it, um, you know. So that that you know versus if that market is down when I'm entering, maybe I'm putting less money in mar- in a VC and private equity to put into the down market because I'm going to get that higher return over there. Yep, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And Parker, by the way, I think that answers your question. Uh, Parker Russo put out there, what are some of the businesses that you're heavily invested in? Are there any other areas besides mar- um, uh, you know, marijuana and, um, and sports gambling that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a number of businesses. Um, there's one that I recently entered that's a subscription model um, for a CBT. Well, I guess we're going back to the marijuana. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a CBD patch for... Um, for women uh, for their menstrual cycle. So you put it over where they're having their menstrual cramps. And the reason I love it is because um, um, an influencer, a famous act- actress named Ashley Green, she was in the Twilight movies and has always just been a very strong advocate for um, women's health and a huge Instagram following. And uh, her and her sister-in-law actually founded the company. So, you know, when, when you got that dynamic with a person that already has people following them, and it's not like she's selling you you know, pool tables or something. This is with her cause of what's coming out right now. And not to mention, it's a good product that a lot of people, gosh, I just got involved a month ago and I got a bunch of free samples at my house and I'm giving them to my neighbors and my friends. And I was like, oh my God, if this thing works, this is going to be the best thing ever. And, you know, lo and behold, 30 days or four days, depending on when they had their period, I'll get that phone call. Holy crap, it works. I'm signing up right now. (laughs) Like, okay, good, good investment. Good investment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how to measure your ROI by yeah. the time of the month. I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's so funny because I'll screenshot the calls for my friends and send them over to Ashley. Cause we're still early stage. There's, you know, we don't have millions of, of uh, subscribers yet, but I'll send it over to her. And she goes, this is exactly what we love to hear. Thank you. So anyway. incredible. Oh my God. The, the web that we weave, John, I know. I mean, funny. The life of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Folks, we are Infinity X stage and microphone to human excellence. This is John Sarasani. You can find him on Instagram and on Twitter at John Sarasani. Let's talk about the book for a second, John. Okay. Paid training. Um, yeah. What drove, did you ever see yourself being an author? What drove you to write the book and tell us a little bit more about it? 
Yeah. So, you know, what we were talking about earlier when I, when I left Arthur J. Gallagher to, to start my own company, um, it, it became like this kind of like ongoing epiphany for me of those, those first several years. And um, I wrote that book in 2011. I had sold, I had left Gallagher and started my own company in 2005. And I kind of just like dabbled in my head as it went. I'm like, what people don't understand. Like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it, man. Like, you know, I, I'd be at, um, you know, um, events for other brokers and inter intermediaries that like, you know, a Chicago Cubs game or a Bulls game or something like that. And it's like, Oh, John, you're with this, this little shitty company over here. Nobody's heard of. And I'm with Aon and I'm an assistant account manager over there. They like, think they're better than you or something yeah. like that. And I lived in that environment too. Yep. When I worked at Gallagher, we had all the wholesalers, you know, taking us out all the time, buying us lunches and gosh, man, dude, here I am over here. Call me as whatever you want to call me. You know what I'm making and what you're making right now? Do you know what my lifestyle is like and your lifestyle is not like right now? Do you know what freedom I have to bring solutions to my clients that you're in this little vertical that you don't even know anything outside that exists? Yep, yep. So so I, I, I think over those first few years, uh, David, I, I, it kind of just was in my head. And I didn't really have something to prove, but I felt like, like this is not being talked enough about. And then, and then, you know, also there's so many entrepreneurs out there, like, like say Mark Cuban and people like that of the world that are always like promoting people to starve. It's okay. Go broke, man. You know, live in the back of your car and eat ramen noodles. Right. Or buy a car that you can't afford. Cause it'll make you work harder. I've heard <laughs> right. like, come on, dude. You know, so well, so here we go. So that was the whole concept of my book. Screw all that noise. Okay. Paid training. Go get a job in corporate America. Learn the craft. Get paid for it. Be a great employee during that time there. Because you ain't gonna, you're not gonna learn enough if you're not a good employee. Mm -hmm. Rise, rise, rise. Now leave, do it yourself and get that, that, that much bigger reward. Yep. Um, so what, what's interesting about you bringing that up though, man, is I'm going to, uh, I, I'm really toying right now with a second version of that book. Cause when I wrote that book, I was still focused on my insurance company. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't running around promoting that thing very hard. I was barely even talking about it. I wanted to put it out there, but I didn't have the same, um, you know, I, I didn't have all these other stuff that's happened since then happened yet. I didn't sell my company yet and get private equity or whatever. So I think I have a little bit more credibility now. And uh, there's also a number of things I would add to it that I think could really add a lot of flavor to it. So you're hearing it here first. The working title is the the 1000% raise. Oh, okay. Folks, put that out there in the chat right now. The 1000% raise. Talk us, yeah. talk us into that a little bit, John. Okay. Yeah. What's that? I'm sorry. I'll walk us into it a little oh, bit. 1,000% raise. Yeah. So I just look at my job at Gallagher and by the end I was, you know, make at Gallagher back then, you know, you could probably make more money there now. I don't want to, uh, you know, say anything negative about anything, but I was making, you know, 140, 150 grand and it was a good little life and everything else. And, you know, I think when I left, like four years later, I'd make a thousand percent of that 10 times as much. Mm -hmm. And then that kept going up from there. And I never really stopped doing the exact same job. My job was the same job. You know what I mean? Now, in my book, I do kind of ask you some questions to evaluate yourself. You know, just if you're good at sales and you're not a technician, I'm, you know, knock on wood, I'm, I'm, I was good at both. But, but there are certain elements you have to bring to the table that, hey, if you're just a salesman and didn't bother to learn 
the craft, then then maybe maybe you're better off working for someone else as a highly paid sales rep. Um, but uh, for me, I, I was I was ever, always doing everything A to Z, and I learned everything, all the intricacies of it. And let's face it, man, insurance is not rocket science. There's some complex pieces, but most of us have the capability to understand any of it. Okay. Now there's a lot sometimes, and maybe some people are better than others, but most of us are enabled to understand it. If you, if you put the time in to learn it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was my deal, man. And I, uh, you know, that's why I'm called the, the thousand. That's a working title. Hey, I, I was not planning on bringing this up. So thank you. Yeah, well, I listen, you yeah. heard it here first folks on yeah. infinity X creating infinite sales opportunities and infinite pay raise yeah. opportunity. Yeah. With the man here, John Sarastani. Boy, I'll tell you what. Now, John, let me ask you a question also. So as an entrepreneur, you know, I look at um, I look at our my business, I look mm-hmm. at our platform, and I, I look at where we want to continue to scale and continue to build and continue to innovate. And yeah, constantly comes back to how can cre- how how can I create a larger stage and a larger microphone? Right. Um, one of our business partners is a gentleman named Sean Callagy. And I always give Sean credit to this. Sean is a speaker on Tony Robbins' stage. Oh. Tony has credited him, credited him as being um, one of the most integrous, influential humans. In fact, I actually think the most integrous, influential human he's ever worked with. Right. Okay. Um, incredible, incredible man. And um, he's always referring to the growth of the stage and the microphone, the larger the stage and the larger microphone, the greater mm. the opportunity is for ecosystem mergers. Right. And so, mm. you know, <clears throat> we're constantly looking to broaden our base camp and, and elevate our stage and our microphone. Yeah. And for, for somebody like yourself, I have yeah. to imagine that that is something that's consistently in the forefront as well. Right. You have fit over 15,000 uh, followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, same holds true uh, on, on, on Twitter and, and your brand is, I mean, listen, folks, this man has done business with Aaron Rodgers. Right. We haven't even talked about that yet. I, I want to yeah. get into that here in a moment. But what is the next stage and the next microphone for you? Do you want it to be your own or is there a platform that you want to speak on? Uh, great question. I, um, you know, as far as podcasts and going on shows like this, I got, I got to tell you, David, I, I, I'm on the circuit right now where I'm doing a number of these. And by the way, your questions have been great. You've asked me a lot of questions. Other people haven't asked me. So thank you for that. Welcome, brother. Um, I've kind of toyed with uh, doing my own. And uh, then I start to peel back that onion a little bit. And it's like a lot of, it's a lot of freaking work, man. <laughs> you know, it really, it's a lot of work, bro. With, don't show up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lot of work, but at least for you and what, what you're doing, you're, you're tying it into your, to your, your company where you guys have, um, you know, other, other, I, I'm not really selling anything. You know what I mean? I'm not really. So for me to put all that time and effort into building something like that is just with no real, you know, something I'm going to sell at that point. Maybe I'll just speak in in the future or something like that. But uh, right now, man, I'm just trying to put myself out there and help people. Quite honestly, I'm not even really, I appreciate you bringing up my book, but I'm not really even trying to sell my book. I mean, guys, I make like 80 cents for every book that's sold. So it's not, it's not like you're going to change my life there, you know, uh, but, 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 I, but I do tell people to buy it because I think it will help them. Yeah. And listen, you know, the message of a megapreneur, you're not an entrepreneur, you're a megapreneur. Right. I mean, right. you. I mean, the level the, the level that you've operated at is one that, you know, 
what do they say? They say if you're in the 99th percentile, you're making $400,000. But if you're in the 99.9, you're making well over a million. If you're 99.99, you're at like 10 million. I don't, I don't quite know the math, but the gap is absolutely massive. And so mm. you've leveled up into an area in entrepreneurship and mm. you know, let's be honest, income level that yeah. people, you know, will never, ever see, will right. never see. So if you were on a stage and speaking with, I mean, because entrepreneur is a broad topic, but if there is, if you were on stage and could influence, um, you know, people in a specific vertical or specific verticals, what would they be and why? Like, where would you want to, to, to concentrate your message to? Tell you what, I, you know what? I would share the the story. If we're if if my message was going to be geared towards anyone right now, I would say for for actual wealth creation and, and how to get there. And one of the areas that that I've been talking a lot in my social circles about lately is how hard it is to actually accumulate wealth. People people don't realize how hard that is. And, you know, like, let's say you have a job where you're making 350 grand a year. Hey man, that's a ton of money. That's, that's as much as anyone's ever paid me for, for a job. Okay. I, that's a lot of money, but if you do that math over time, okay, what do you really want your lifestyle to be? Okay. For me, I wanted to be able to retire when I was 40 years old. That was, that was it for me. And I had set that in my head at $10 million. I needed to have a $10 million net worth to retire when I was 40 years old. That was my goal. Yep. Okay. And, and then off that $10 million, I was going to make 5% a year on it, invest it conservatively and live off 500 grand a year. This was just my little spreadsheet back of the napkin thing that I put together myself. Okay. Yep. Now I'm going to tell you what, if I didn't get bought by private equity, all right. If I didn't get bought by private equity, I probably wouldn't have hit it. Yeah. And I was making $3 million a year. Yep. Okay. Yep. I probably wouldn't have got to that 10 million. You follow me? Nope. Like I was making over 3 million a year. So, so um, I, I, I think people giving themselves um, goals and objectives, but like making sure they're realistic to what they're doing. Okay. Nope. Especially if you're in corporate America, man, if I'm in corporate America over here, and my plan is to, you know, okay, I want to get the VP of whatever one day, dude, that's fine, man. And maybe you'll be making 700 grand a year at some point. And that's awesome. But unless you don't have stock options or something significant in that nature that could go skyrocket, you're, you're still not, you know, moving to your yacht when you're 50. That's you right. know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, and that's fine, but you know, whatever your goal is, just, just figure out what that goal is and, and how you're actually going to get there and, and, and do the math. And um, I, I think that's, that's powerful right now. And I've been saying that a lot to people lately. It's, I love that message because I mean, right now, I mean, listen, we're at 43 year highs in inflation. Wealth erosion is a real thing. You're hundred percent right. Like you can make $700,000 a year, but if you're not saving the right way, right. I mean, yeah. Corporate America and the, the financial institutions, they have their rules about how they want people saving money, right? Mm -hmm. They also have rules about how they want to collateralize that money. And everybody is becoming, I think, more and more aware of that. But the mass, right. I mean, look, the statistics don't lie. I mean, the mm -hmm. average American family, I think from 55 to 65 has a median average 401k balance of like $140,000 or something like that. I mean, it's absurd. It's a crazy. And that's the primary savings vehicle. Right. You yep. know, I mean, I was looking at a time uh, time magazine cover 
uh, right before, actually, John, right before we jumped onto the podcast, and mm-hmm. I think it was 2005, um, and it, it said the death of retirement or something. It was something like that. And it was mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, and then had 401k directly underneath it. Mm-hmm. People are being taught in most cases how to accumulate wealth inappropriately, right? Mm-hmm. In the wrong in the wrong fashion. And I jumped onto your YouTube channel for a moment and I saw a couple of uh, pieces um, and, and I believe it's gems was the, it was the title of the, uh, of the YouTube channel. And there are a couple of pieces pertaining to real estate investment. Do you Mm -hmm. do anything in real estate and what type of, uh, you know, what type of strategies have you looked at in that space? Yeah. So, so you're you're referring to, it's called something just like my son is a video editor. So I started. Oh, is that your son? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's my son editing it. So it's a lot of fun. He's 13 and learned all this stuff so i go jacob we're gonna start doing uh gems by john sarasani and um i love it i do you know so so one of the ones that i was referring to is is why rich people don't have mortgages and how there's a misconception amongst i think amongst the middle class and even the upper middle class um to feel rich is by um trying to pay off that mortgage and this was in a time when i filmed that the interest rates were still at like you know, two and a half to three and a half percent. I think they would have gone up since and I don't really watch it that close. But at the, but at the time, it was really trying to train the public on, hey, listen, do what you want to do. You could feel great about it. You could feel rich when you pay off your mortgage. But this is why a lot of wealthy people don't do that. And um, it, it just talked about putting, taking that money out of your home, mm-hmm. putting it into the market, making 8% in the market. And it only costs you two and a half percent over here. And then showing you what that means over 10 years. And I use some conservative examples, but like to a middle America, I mean, we're talking about, you know, over a 10 year period by really the equivalent of doing paperwork for two hours is going to put another quarter million dollars into your net worth in 10 years. 100%. You know what I, mean? yeah. I totally do. I totally do. Yeah. But you get higher velocity on your money, you get more tax write-offs, you get all of that. Yeah. Stuff. I totally get that. And I love right. I love that message. Hey, let's talk about um, uh, your partnership with Aaron Rodgers for a moment. Sure, no problem, man. How yeah. did that how did that come about? What does that look like? Yeah, so it's called OSDB, which is uh OSDBsports.com. Um I when I first started Glencrest Global, I was just kind of putting my name out there. Hey, there's this venture capitalist from Chicago that's looking to get into some cool and interesting things. So I kind of put that out on the street. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm not trying to like invest in invest in a bunch of SaaS companies or like HR services or anything like that. I want to do some interesting crap over here. Okay, man. And uh, somebody put me, somebody heard about this company that Aaron Rodgers is doing. Um, there's there's a there's a Hollywood website called IMDB that people might be familiar with. It's the verification of celebrities. Okay. You know, if, David, if you told me that you were in a, you were an extra in some movie in 2004. Okay. And you're, maybe you're trying to pick up some girl at the bar by name dropping that, you know, <laughs> right. Um, Sandler, yeah. right by the ring, you know, <laughs> maybe that's how you got your wife. Now, listen, she, she could go to IMDB and see if you've been lying to her after all these years, you know, but uh, so, so, so that's what IMDB does and it verifies things. Okay. And there no such, no such website exists, um, for, for sports and oh, gosh, yeah, there is, there's Yahoo sports or CBS sports. Yeah. But there, there's not like the whole process like IMDB has for actors in Hollywood as mm-hmm. there is in the sports world. So at first I'm a little skeptical. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a good idea. And this guy, Ryan Rotman starts it. And he's out, Ryan Rotman's out in Hollywood. He's an actor. And I'm like, okay, a good a- an actor came up with this idea. But then he tells me, well, actually he got Aaron Rodgers to partner with him on this. 
still my skepticism is still high. Um, me and Ryan have a number of phone calls. And remember, I just sold my insurance. I just got out of insurance. And I'm like, yeah. I'm sitting in the suburbs of Chicago with my kids and my dogs and stuff. And I'm talking to Rotman on the phone. He's like, well, just fly out to LA. I'll show you all this stuff. And yeah, well, what are you doing this Friday? Me and uh, Zach Efron and a few people are going out. And I'm like, sure. Okay. Bye. Oh, great. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I fly out there and sure enough, we're hanging Zach, out with all the, right? yeah, yeah we're, we're all hanging out with these guys. And sure enough, Aaron Rodgers owns 30% of the company. And sure enough, it's, they're doing some big damn things. And um, they were trying to get um, one external investor that could kind of help them on that team we got by from taking it from here to here in these early pre-seed and seed stages. And um, I ended up being that guy and fused a little bit of capital in it. Aaron put the most money in, but they were letting one of us come in from the outside to help. And uh, yeah, Aaron, relatively Aaron didn't put the most money in. I put the most money relatively. Aaron put the most money dollar for dollar. Though, okay? right, right. Um, yeah. But anyway, that actually that's before his $200 million contract. So I don't I know. About that. That's exactly what yeah. just went through my mind. Yeah. 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 So maybe at the time we were, well, I don't know, but um, he, uh, yeah, man. So, so that's what we're doing. It's awesome. Uh, now we've kind of um, grown where we're about to do a series A round and really open it up. Um, got some big, uh, some big interest from a number of like, kind of like A-listers in Hollywood. It's kind of catching that buzz. And, and a lot of times you hear the celebrity stuff and it's like, okay, dude, whatever, you know what I mean? Okay. People are throwing in money because they think Aaron's going to be their best friend. That's not what this is. And also though, we need these Hollywood guys to be on board with it and the professional athletes to be on board with it. Cause this is something that the consumers need to go to a website and actually start using the damn thing. Sure. So we need that out el that element to be cool to those people. You follow me? Yeah. Um, so that's why I haven't mentioned that those kinds of people are involved. That's incredible. Well, we are Infinity mm -hmm. X stage and microphone with pure human excellence. John Sarasani has just done unbelievable things. Um, you, you're the founder of, um, I'm so, so sorry. Is it uh, at, uh, Glencrest? Yeah, Glencrest Global. Glencrest oh. Global. You can find him on Instagram and on Twitter at John Sarasani, um, author, um, athlete at the highest level, uh, venture capitalist, um, you know, name a damn thing like marijuana, gambling, all these. But, 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 <laughs> I don't smoke pot. I don't smoke pot. I don't use marijuana, by the way. Exactly. Just, you know. Not partaking, but finding value finding value and i think you know in the in the space of venture capital it's uh it's it's i i would assume i'm not actively participating in it but i would assume that it's about finding value um john last question i have for you before uh, i let you rock and roll for the rest of the evening uh and by the way i see you in my future in a massive way brother i just have loved what you shared tonight awesome thanks I love, man i love your personality man um what do the next five years hold for you, man? What's the what's the next steps in the journey looking like for you? You know, I'm in. I, I I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing with Glencrest Global. Um, there's one particular company that I've kind of went all in on. It's a government technology company. It's out of Chicago. It's called Quicket Solutions. Um, it's the very first cloud-based um, um, court recording system that the FBI has approved. So it's really the only cloud-based system that police officers around the country are able to use. And we're starting to grow rapidly and getting bigger, bigger and bigger cities on board. Um, 
I'll give you a quick example. So say, for instance, you get pulled over and it takes them 12 minutes because they got to call in your plates, wait for the, uh, them to get back to you uh, from yeah. the uh, police station. Now, if they have Quicket in their police force, that process takes about one minute because the cop has the app right on his phone. He's not calling in anywhere to run your plates. It's right on his phone with his own security. And we're the only that, ones. Yeah, that is unbelievable. Um, and, and that, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to we're, we're, we're going against the Motorola's of the world. We're going against the Tyler's of the world. Um, we have a pretty tight knit group of investors. Um, it started in 2014, which I was not involved back then, but the first probably four years were development. And, um, then the next couple of years started getting some sales, started getting some sales, then boom, here comes COVID. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Hey, the new guy, Glenn Crest global guy, uh, got involved right in the beginning of COVID because, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, it, it really put me in a position, though, to, to, to have a good spot in that company. And I'm on the board. Of, I'm on the board of uh, directors and um, heavily, heavily involved well into the seven figures uh, personally. So we're, we're, we're really expecting big things. And I'm kind of looking at that company as the company that that takes um me and uh, what I'm trying to do with Glencrest Global into the promised land. Um, you know, OSDB and there's a weed company and the sports gambling side. I mean, the sports gambling side I'm involved in has Kevin Garnett, the NBA player, um, as, as a founder too. So trust me, those are all good ones that we ex hope big, big, big things from. Sure. But um, Quicket, I think, could be more imminent. And I have uh, I have dollar uh, heavier dollar amounts in that. So um, that with Quicket also and and call me crazy. But when, when you were describing this, here's one of the things that was going through my head. Mm -hmm. I would bet that that reduces just because of uh, when you think, and unfortunately, I've been on the receiving end of a ticket in my life, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, that that period of time between when the officer comes up to your window to when they go back to run your plates and all those things, people who are up to no good sometimes have the idea, should I run from the, you know, should I run right. from, yep. I from the scene? But the longer that they, you know, are left alone from the police officer, the more they're thinking that the police officer might be off guard. Right. Yeah. I would imagine that if that time frame is shrunk, that you would be able to show tangible evidence that you're going to have less fleeing the scenes, that you're going to have less accident, that there's less danger for the police officer. I mean, am I right about that? Or Yeah, you're 100 percent right. That's one of the selling points, as well as just the return on investment of the thing in the first place. You, usually it's. It's replacing some other hard hard drive uh, technology that's in a basement somewhere. This is much less expensive to maintain. Um, also, it's better for the community. So that, that what I just described with the e-tickets, that's just one of many things that, that we do. Um, you know, another big thing is, okay, you ever show up to, uh, to court, take a day off of work only to find out that your case got pushed back. You're supposed to come back two weeks later. That's okay, how about you're a single mom and yeah, daycare, daycare for your kid missed a half a day at work to find out this happened. Okay, with our solution, there's getting text messages the day before. Hey, not going to get your case in tomorrow. Don't come until June 15th. Okay, because the court systems know this. It's just not organized enough to communicate it properly. Um, so that's those are just two examples of an array, an array of things that that uh, that we do. And I'm. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm more, I'm more excited about that company or as excited about that company as, as I am with anything else. Folks, I, I, I have to tell you, you know, I, I've been impressed by so many of the guests that we've had on Infinity X over the past two years, but I have not been impressed with anybody like I've been impressed with John. John, exactly. what you're absolutely, brother, what you're yeah. up to in your vision, your focus, your growth model 
is is unprecedented. And you know, so, um, one of my mentors told me, you know, invest in you know, in, invest in your relevance, right? Mm -hmm. Especially today. Today, if you're not investing in your relevance, you're you're dying, right? Mm -hmm. And you just you 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 strike me as somebody who just is constantly innovating on how to invest in their relevance mm -hmm. and and acceleration. And I. Um, I, I just I, I can't tell you how much I admire what you've been able to you know create for yourself, grow. Being a single dad mm -hmm. is I married a single mom and okay. I know the responsibility behind that, brother. I am yeah. not confused about what that takes, right? That's awesome. Thank you. And you're welcome. Absolutely. Um, this is, uh, folks, we are Infinity X. Replay on weareinfinityx.com. We are Infinity X YouTube. This has been John Sarasani. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at John Sarasani. John, what's your website? Uh, glencrestglobal.com. And I'm not very active on Twitter, so go to Instagram. Instagram is where I'm at. Got it, folks. Follow him on the Instagram. Uh, you know, it's uh, Glencrest, GlenCrestGlobal.com. Mm -hmm. uh, hit him up. Look, I mean, you know, John, if if people have idea, I mean, I'm sure you're getting approached with people with ideas all the time, right? Yep. But, you know, what's a filtration system for if an entrepreneur is looking to, you know, explore opportunity with you? Is it just go to the go to the website? Is there a feed that they can put in? Yeah, I think, you know, there's just a number of different sources now. I, th I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs will, will be utilizing LinkedIn quite, quite a bit. And there's just so much thing, so many areas within the LinkedIn um, premium features where you could do searches. I don't even know what's called LinkedIn Plus or whatever it's called. Probably worth that $29 a month is, is what I'll tell you, because I get hit up by strangers all the time that I'm not even connected with that are able to email me directly. So I, I will tell you that LinkedIn thing actually works. Now, whether or not I reply to the email, I'm not going to say, but uh, if, I like the, if I like the idea, I will. And both, by, by the way, speaking of LinkedIn, stop mm -hmm. sending the inbox messages saying, hey, David J. Harder, would yeah. you marry me? Right. Because, you know, because <laughs> No, I'm not going to read your 12 mile long, you know, introductory, mm -hmm. email. like refine right. that a little bit, folks, if you want to get onto the platform with somebody like John. But, oh, that's uh, funny, dude, you're the best, man. It's been a cool. lot of fun. I've really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I look to I look forward to, you know, post op, you know, conversations yeah. with you, man, because I love what you're up to. And I think we align. Um, yep. Excited to share some stuff with you. So, awesome. folks, it's uh John Sarasani, we are Infinity X. We're here every Tuesday bringing value, um, you know, bringing insight from people who have been there and continue to do that. It's not just done that, it's continue to do that. And, um, you know, John, I, I, again, congratulations on, congratulate you on all the things that you're up to in addition to everything that you've accomplished. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. You got it, brother. Have a wonderful night. And folks, next week, we will see you on another session of We Are Infinity X. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.